0: Welcome to Radio Curious, I'm Barry Vogel. In this program, we discuss cultivating beauty in the space between brilliance and madness with Ken Paul Rosenthal, an independent filmmaker based in San Francisco, California. Rosenthal says his work explores the geography of madness through the regenerative power of nature, urban landscapes, home movies, and archival footage from hygiene films. And in his 2011 film, Crooked Beauty, reveals his artistry and cinematography skills. Rosenthal's 2018 film, Whisper Rapture, is a musical and mental health documentary focusing on Bonfire Madigan and her cello. The music you are hearing now is by Bonfire Madigan and her cello played with permission. Being no stranger to demons of the mind, Rosenthal readily shares his personal experiences with those demons and describes how communities of like-minded people can collectively ease the pain and find joyful creativity in the spaces between brilliance and madness. When Ken Paul Rosenthal and I visited by phone from his home in San Francisco, California on july thirtieth, twenty eighteen, we began our conversation when I asked him to describe what many people call mental illness.
1: You use the term normal what is also known as psychonormative in mainstream psychiatry. And I think we really need to first acknowledge that people's notions of normalcy are far broader and diverse than our culture gives them credit for or the ability to experience. So if you're not living a very uh, linear, easily defined life, if you're living outside the margins of what culture considers um, the way one should live, then you're off the track. There's something wrong with you and possibly you might get pathologized as, as ill, as mentally ill. And I think we need to think about um, emotional health rather than mental illness. And that there's a spectrum that we all live on and that we're always changing. Our inner lives are immutable like plants, but uh, we're not always mindful of the fact that uh, we can change all the time and experience that spectrum as a normal part of our experience. Instead, we'd sort of self-pathologize, by compartmentalizing ourselves uh, into the mainstream. Um, it's far easier to wade in the mainstream and dive into the heart of our own darkness.
0: So where do you personally, Ken Paul Rosenthal, fit in to this spectrum? From your perspective,
1: my lived experience is having been born into the world as an artist with a very rich and fertile imagination. And although it's a blessing on the one hand, it's actually something of a dangerous gift. And what I mean uh, uh, about that is for virtually my entire life, um, I've seen played out on the stage of my mind a very rich um, tapestry of self harm ideation. And I often manifest that in actual self-harm. And the way I've come to manage that is through my meditation practice. And what I've learned is, like a lot of us who have a lot of voices, a lot of endless chatter in my mind, I've come to recognize those images, those voices, that ideation, as a way to return me to direct experience. Um, That is... In meditation, they say, well, when you have that chatter, the way to vanquish it is by returning to the breath. And the way I dealt with all that internal chatter and all that violent ideation and acting out was through the direct experience of self-harm. Now I come to recognize that as a way of vanquishing those thoughts. There was this kind of release that happened in the wake of hurting myself, as many people do, who indulge in those practices without going into the details. But via my meditation practice, I see now that a more enlivening and sustainable practice is to simply return to breath.
0: Well, Ken, tell us about how the radical mental health movement fits in.
1: So my discovery of the radical mental health movement has helped me reframe what I saw as problematic inside to, re- to reframe it as uh, something I can ally myself with um, rather than, than demonize it. And by changing the language and also by understanding that um, struggle, like in creative expression, When you have obstacles to overcome, they bring you to places that you could otherwise uh, not have arrived at had you not embraced them uh, more fully.
0: So tell us more about the radical mental health movement.
1: The radical mental health movement, specifically the Icarus Project, whom I discovered in 2005, it's an international community of people who see extreme emotional experiences not as a biological knot that's tied around our neck that we're damaged from the neck up, but instead it's a dangerous gift. Again, it's it's not. It's something that uh, that with the right uh, mentorship, community, tools, skillfulness uh, will help us navigate the space between brilliance and madness, rather than going to the extremes of mania or depression.
0: How is that done?
1: Well, I mean, there are a lot of tools. There, there, it, it's not just as it's not over the counter like like a silver bullet. Um, you know, it's our our culture says that how that's done, how we take care of our emotional health is with a pill. But um, a lot of wellness is in community. Um, like my yoga teacher said uh, many years ago, that we change our patterns on the mat, and then they move inwards. So that was a really profound metaphor because it's just like we reposition. Our relationships and our actions out in the world. In other words, healing is um, is, is shared. Um, it's something we do interdependently, not solely within ourselves. Um, I think a lot of, of, of wellness is, is about getting out of ourselves. It's getting over ourselves by allying ourselves with other people who are also struggling.
0: Uh, Ken, you speak of wellness being in community. In your movies, Crooked Beauty, and whisper rapture. How do you reveal that?
1: Well, I think cinema, first of all, is intrinsically a, a collectively experienced endeavor. And when people are sitting in the dark, I think it's sort of like prayer. Everyone's focus is cast towards the screen. When I'm sitting in a theater, I can feel what people are feeling around me. Depending on the film, you know, we're going through a range of emotions uh, in unison. And that's really rare these days. Uh, People are generally lost in the virtual light of their social networking devices. You see it all the time in public transportation, walking around the streets, uh, people driving their cars. They're already so isolated in that respect, and they're becoming even more fragmented. When you're in the theater, it's a collective experience. And I take a tremendous amount of responsibility in creating a space that is compassionate, if I'm going to have people there collectively experience potentially triggering issues, then the job for me is to show up in a way where people can um, transpose their experience into something that is transformative and transcendent.
0: When you say show up in a way, how do you put that in the movies that you make? Right.
1: When you listen to the news, it's generally about all the chaos and terror that's in the world. And I feel there's a lot more beauty and poetry in the world than terror, but that's not reported. And I did a lot of research on other mental health films before I completed my first one in 2010. And so many of them were portraits of suffering, or they graphically revealed the inner tortures of the featured character. But I wanted the featured characters in my film to be empowered, to be portraits of of courage, and not to romanticize their mental distress, but just to create a space where people could integrate the stories that they were observing up on the screen into their own lived experience. And to do that in a way that was more lyrical and poetic rather than graphic and violent. I often use images that are from the natural world because in the natural world, um, it's mutable, it's organic. It's, if there's a fire, then there's, there's rebirth. Um, if a vine or a plant is, hits an obstacle, it knows to twist and move around it so that it could reach the light. And it's really important for me to create that kind of nourishing context in which to hear these portraits, to observe these portraits of of mental distress.
0: Ken, I hear that as explaining your goal, and I would like you to describe what would be seen in your films, Whisper Rapture, or Crooked Beauty.
1: Yeah, well, usually when you see a documentary, you're looking into the eyes of a speaking subject. Oh, it's about a person that's being profiled. Of course, you want to look at the person speaking, but... I rarely show the person speaking. Uh, It's almost like radio, because when you hear just a voice, uh, you integrate it more into your imagination. If you see the person speaking, you may feel, well, of course, it's a first-person narrative. Of course, you want to see them talking on screen. But then there's a potential othering that goes on. There's the damaged person. There's the diseased person. There's the person with the problem. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but as a filmmaker with roots in the experimental side of of filmmaking, I was really interested in the construction of the person up there and on the screen and how we see affects what we see and what we feel. I'm very compelled to embody the speaking subject's testimony in the outer world. And that way, when people leave the theater, they don't look at a tree the same way. Let's say instead of seeing a tree as just branches and leaves and they think tree, They may see it as a metaphor for the synapses of the mind. You know, there's a lot of healing that happens in nature. It's kind of a cliche. You know, we escape to nature, but we know the feeling of walking around downtown versus uh, walking around in in nature. There's a release. There's a letting go. Actually, speaking of Whisper Rapture, the project I just finished, it kick-started... During a a one-month residency I did on Hornby Island, which is a very small island with only 800 residents, uh, which is about nine hours northwest of Vancouver in Canada. And over the course of the month that I spent there, harvesting images for the film, I didn't have one shred of anger or any sort of emotional volatility within me. And I realized that that was because I was embedded in nature and I didn't have anything aggressive uh, or constructed around me to sort of contain what otherwise would be an organic flow of my experience.
0: Our guest is San Francisco filmmaker Ken Paul Rosenthal, who lives in San Francisco, California. His films show nature, designs, and structures, sometimes in fast motion, to visually enhance the telling of the stories and the theme of the film. And his current film, Whisper Rapture, tells the story as flowing through a cello played by the primary character in the movie. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Ken, would you please tell us about your two films, Crooked Beauty and Whisper Rapture?
1: One day I walked into my apartment in 2005, and there was a magazine laying on a coffee table. It didn't even belong to one of my housemates. It belonged to a house guest, and the title of that magazine was Navigating the Space Between Brilliance and Madness. It was the first publication of an organization called the Icarus Project, which is a community support organization by and for people with extreme emotional experiences that get commonly labeled as mental illnesses. I opened up this magazine, I read the first article, and I was literally inseminated with the idea to make Crooked Beauty. The way the author, Jax McNamara, spoke about their experience of extreme emotional distress was couched in a language that spoke deeply to my own experience of the world, which was, one, predicated more on... How do we handle our deep sensitivities rather than pathologize and label them as illnesses? There was also something very cinematic and visual about her language that uh, really spoke to me as well as a filmmaker. So I contacted them, and two days later we met, and I pitched the film right then and there. Now, she co-founded the Icarus Project, and the featured character in my latest film, Whisper Rapture, Bonfire Madigan Shive was the third founding collective member of the Icarus Project. So I came to know Madigan and her music and her pioneering mental health activism through the Icarus Project. She actually contributed a little bit of music to the first film, Crooked Beauty, and then getting to know her as a friend and ally over the years through the radical mental health movement, I decided it was time to make a film about her life and her music.
0: Ken Paul Rosenthal, uh, in my viewing of Crooked Beauty and Whisper Rapture, I was very much drawn to the visuals. Uh, The visuals were of nature, structures. They moved quickly, and I'd like you to talk about your intention and goal in causing them to be seen that way.
1: The core of my mission as an artist advocate is to help alleviate human suffering by cultivating beauty. And I'm really interested by embodying internal states of mental and emotional distress by using images from the extant natural world and light as conveyed through time-lapse photography in urban space as well. Uh, There's something very integrated and healing, as we all know, uh, with the animate world, and as madness is very much a reflection of a social condition, uh, I'm really interested in how we have sort of anesthetized ourselves in the natural world and buried ourselves in the virtual light of our social network networking devices, which really fragments our inner states, and I think kind of uh, perpetuates a lot of um, distress that we're already feeling. So I'm trying to create a compassionate space with my films so that uh, when we see the speaking subject up on the screen, there's not an othering that's going on. The problems and the struggles that the featured characters in my films have are not just about the person up there. They are more easily integrated into the experience of the audience because they're articulated and embodied in a larger uh, a larger landscape than just the, the, um, the skull, if you will. Um, you know, our, our cultural narrative is that we're diseased and damaged inside if we have what is commonly labeled a mental illness. There's a biochemical knot, as it were, around our neck. But we need to think about madness as a reflection of a social condition. So I'm always thinking of a broader environment for how we can experience mental health issues. And I'm very, very committed to doing that on as compassionate a stage as possible. And that's why I use images that are as beautiful and lyrical and poetic as possible.
0: That was my focus, the choice of your images. And what I was asking was, you would go from one image, sped up photography... To another image that to me seemed to fit the dialogue that the uh, speakers were reciting at the time.
1: Yeah, and and I never, as I'm sure you observed, I'm never illustrating exactly what they're saying. What I'm trying to do is embody through tone and texture. You know, my background is as an experimental filmmaker, and I, I don't like to identify as that anymore. But aesthetically, the films are still very poetic and lyrical. So, for example, in Crooked Beauty, which is a black-and-white film primarily, I was really interested in how can I privilege and harness the extremes of mania and depression visually. So I was thinking about opposites, the union of opposites, um, black and white, light and shadow, rough and smooth, fluid and concrete. I toured with that film for almost four years internationally, and people always were astounded at how acutely the images embodied and, and they would even say, you know, illustrated exactly what she was saying. But it's not like she was ever talking about the tree or the grass. It was just that I made very, very mindful choices about how is the um, visual nature of this image, how is it aesthetically reflecting the essence of what the person is saying. So the experience of listening to These speaking subjects' stories in my films becomes a felt experience rather than one that's just understood.
0: Ken Paul Rosenthal, how do you select these images?
1: That's my favorite question in the world um, when discussing my films because I never consciously choose them. They choose me. We all know the term a shot or shooting a film, and I always felt those terms were so violent. And there's an intentionality to there. Conventionally in a film, you have something that's scripted. Something is written. You go and you shoot. You grab. You record. I go for mindful walks. I faneur. I consciously wander. And I wait to be called to what I like to say is harvesting the image. To me, when I am harvesting these images, it's really like uh, gleaning ripe fruit from the world. It's kind of like I am making the unknown known. And I know all this sounds very esoteric in a sense, but on the other hand, they're made manifest very, very clearly in the films. I actually even bow to the subject, for example, a tree, after I'm done harvesting the image, because I feel it was given to me rather than something I, quote, and shot.
0: When you find them, I assume it is because you were called to them. What I would like to ask you, Ken Paul Rosenthal, is how do you know or feel that you are being called to harvest an image?
1: Well, I like to call it a practice of deep listening with one's eyes, but it's not just the eyes. So, for example, I will see um, a trembling branch. The wind is blowing the branch. Now, superficially, you'd say the wind is blowing the branch, but to me, it's a gesture. It's the tree sticking out its index finger and saying, come over here, check me out, I have something to tell you. I think indigenous peoples had a much more intimate relationship to what the writer David Abrams calls the sentient soil. Uh, The narratives are inscribed into the very landscape that they walked on and that we walk on. For example, when you're out in the woods and you see deer hoof prints as markers, for the narrative of that path that the, the deer trod, there's a story there. Now, what does it say if we're walking on a path that's covered in, in concrete? There's nothing to respond to. You're literally, your experience, your connection to the earth is literally being cut off. So how can we wake up? You know, I just read a review of Spike Lee's new film, and he was saying the whole core of his film work is to wake up. So what kind of world do we want to wake up into, and how can we wake up into it if our experience is literally paved over?
0: Ken Paul Rosenthal, what is your answer to that question?
1: Well, I can respond with a quote by J. Krishnamurti, who said, It's no measure of wellness to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So I think it's important to be curious, because the root of curious is cure, and to find the places in our culture that are 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 not um, that are authentic, and that are more about lived experiences rather than those that are just a reflection of the chaotic times we live in.
0: So again, how do we find them?
1: Well, I think we have to learn how to write our own stories, because when telling your own story, you can't let anyone else pick up the pen. And I think, again, we live in a a virtual state of um, distraction. Uh, People turn from their shadows, and I think we have to find some sort of practice. The reason why it may sound like I'm hesitant to say what that practice is, because I think each of us are incumbent to find what that practice is that allows us to sit with our shadows rather than than, than demonize them or medicate them away, because there's information there. I'd like to quote Bonfire, Madigan, Shive, the subject of Whisper Rapture. We medicate and suppress and pathologize what we don't understand because we're terrified of the mystery, instead of really allowing that which terrifies us to be a part of the experience. I always sense that there's something extremely sacred in what we call sickness and that there is a shadow of ourselves in that mystery that we're being called to show up for.
0: Well, Ken Paul Rosenthal, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious, and I'd like you to share with us a eureka or an aha moment that shaped your life.
1: The single biggest aha moment of my life was not only when I picked up that first publication by the Icarus Project, but when I read specifically in the opening essay, which was called Anatomy of Flight, it said birds with asymmetrical wings cannot fly. And that did not initially make sense to me because I thought, well, a bird's wings must be symmetrical so it can fly. But it's just like looking at the flaps of an airplane's wings when you're looking out the window and you see that they're moving. And what they're doing is shifting to maintain flight depending on the currents, the air currents that are coming its way, and a bird does the same thing. So the idea, simply put, is that it's in our asymmetries or in the way we manage our sensitivities, in their imbalances, that we can learn to navigate that space between brilliance and madness and not fly too high like Icarus, the myth of Icarus, which is what the Icarus Project took its name from, and crash and, or, you know, crash and burn because we become intoxicated with our, our powers, but simply find a way to, to manage, to become more skillful managing our, our sensitivities, our so-called asymmetries, and, and, and navigate that space between brilliance and madness.
0: And can you uh, share with us what you would like to do with the remainder of your One Precious Life?
1: I'm really interested now in creating a mental health pop-up that I'm calling YES, which stands for Your Empathy Stand. The model for this is Lucy's therapy stand from the Peanuts cartoon. What I'd like to do is have a mobile mental health pop-up that I can take around town on my bicycle and set up in any park. I want to give people 10 minutes to speak to me about whatever's on their mind. I would largely listen, but at the same time, I would offer them a prescription of wellness practices, be it spiritual or physical or nature-based, and then send them on their way.
0: And finally, Ken Paul Rosenthal, is there a film or a book that you could recommend to our listeners?
1: David Abrams' book, Spell of the Sensuous. It sort of reframes the way we speak about the world, and a follow-up book to that called On Being Animal and Earthly Cosmology. And in terms of a, a movie, Leave No Trace.
0: Well, Ken Paul Rosenthal, thank you very much for being with us on Radio
1: Curious. You're quite welcome. Thank you.
0: Ken Paul Rosenthal is an independent filmmaker based in San Francisco, California. The books Ken Paul Rosenthal recommends are both by David Abram, The Spell of the Sensuous, and Becoming Animal, an Earthly Cosmology. The film he recommends is Leave No Trace, about a father and daughter who lived off the grid in the wilderness. This program was recorded on July 30th, 2018. There are over 700 archive editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. They're all free to listen, download, share as my gift to you. The email address is curious at radiocurious.org. The phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel.